Welcome to Big MarTech, the show where we talk about the big ideas and the big topics in the marketing technology industry. I'm Juan. I'm Scott. Well, Scott, we have come to the final episode of um, our pilot season of Big MarTech, episode 12. And before we get into things, we've got a big episode and we're going to be covering a lot of topics. But before we get into things, I just want to say a quick thank you to our, our readers, our subscribers, our listeners, our watchers, and all of the awesome people across social media that have been adding feedback, have been adding to the conversations week to week. It's been an absolute thrill. I mean, we kind of started this thing back, when was it? Back in perhaps July, August, when we were just starting this out. And um, it's just been awesome to see the reception and the um, the community sort of starting to form around Big Martech. So I just want to kick it off, kick us off with a positive note and say thank you so much for um, for st sticking with us and um, and uh, giving so much valuable insight and feedback as well. Um, but what's your reflection um, over the past uh, three months going at it week to week, dis dissecting and analysing this industry? Wow. Well, I have to say, uh, yeah, I'll echo uh, the thank yous to uh, all the wonderful folks who have been joining us and uh, supporting us. Um, you know, I, as we've had these weekly discussions, I have realized as deep of a subject as I always knew MarTech was, somehow every week when you and I end up chatting about it, I realize the well is even deeper. Um, <laughs> you know, this is such a rich field. Uh, yeah. So let me add. Thank you to you, Juan. Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, you know, we've uh, maintained over uh, now what is coming up to be our 12th episode. So, uh, um, yeah. yeah, wow, just learned a time. As they say, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, <laughs> time has definitely flown. And, yeah, and I echo that as well, Scott. Like, it's been interesting. When we um, pitched this show to a few different people, uh, one person came back to us and said, um, it's like chicken and waffles almost in that, you know, we've got so like different stages of life, but then also you've got different perspectives and different types of uh, things that we're working on. And then bringing that perspective and that um, having those sort of really interesting debates and discussions has only sort of, yeah, sort of validated me how much there is to learn about MarTech, how, how uh, multifaceted it is, but then how much is like underexplored and under discussed as well. So I think all of the topics from, you know, the retail media stuff that we we're discussing earlier this year to platforms and ecosystems right through to looking at, you know, Web3 and NFTs, there's just been so much change across the industry, even over that three month period. And that'll be a bit of our topic for, uh, for today is we'll be talking about um, all the things that um, we thought were going to happen, but didn't happen in MarTech this year. So it's a bit of a flip side of what you tend to see. Uh, but before we get into that, Scott, uh, what's been the reception from last week's episode? We talked about complexity in MarTech. Uh, what, what were you hearing out on the, out on the grounds? Yeah, definitely got some great feedback. Uh, uh, Vladimir Sarek uh, uh, replied uh, uh, recently, like, I've said it many times and I'll say it again. Tech is not, I repeat, not the problem. It could be part of a wider problem, or if used wisely, a part of the solution to problems of any companies, but it's definitely not a silver bullet or a problem just on its own, uh, which I think 100%, you know, and it cuts both ways, right? Um, and then uh, Adam Perry also, uh, you know, what we had said about, uh, you know, don't blame the solution for the problem. This clearly resonated with quite a few folks. Uh, you know, Adam added in, the question is, the squeeze is the squeeze, the complexity, worth the juice, 
you know, marketing outcomes. Uh, he states he's all for uh, adding a more nuanced marketing motion if it helps customers and prospects and will impact pipeline or other marketing resources, uh, marketing measures. And I thought, yes, this is exactly right, because, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week, this idea that complexity is relative, you know, for a small marketing team or a team that's relatively early in developing their MarTech capabilities, they should keep things simple. Um, you know, adding more complexity, they actually probably won't have the ability to harness that complexity to get value out of it. But over time, as you grow, as the sophistication of your marketing operations team, you know, grows, you very well may be able to achieve additional optimizations by layering in some additional complexity into what you're actually doing. But do so, do so in balance and moderation uh, to the actual maturity of your org. All that resonate mm -hmm. with you? Yeah, I think it resonates. I mean, the whole question of um, is the juice worth the squeeze um, is completely hypothetical until you actually start um, shipping things, until you actually start using the marketing technologies that you set out to buy. Um, because it's, I think I, I, the thing that I keep going back to is that complexity and experimentation, often those go hand in hand. If you want to try a new platform to see if it would give you some kind of competitive edge or create new value or make you more efficient in your marketing team, you know, the only way to figure that out often is to just try and to give it a go. And so is the juice worth a squeeze? Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends on, you can only do so much planning and so much forecasting and so much um, and strategy work until you actually realize, yep, okay, we actually need to give it a go <laughs> and get into market. And so I think that, you know, the, the risk of looking at MarTech from a complexity lens is that I think we often will prevent ourselves from actually experimenting and trying these things and attempting to get value out of different technologies um, because we're so afraid of having tech debt or having, you know, unfulfilled um, requirements or not or missing the mark in terms of targets and growth and opportunities. So I think that, yeah, I think it goes back to experimentation. Is it juice worth the squeeze? It depends. I think that's my view on that. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Let's talk about our topic for this week. Uh, what do you have for us? Well, um, we thought we'd flip it around. Uh, I'm not sure about you, Scott, but uh, this week in particular, as we're heading into December, uh, my inbox is starting to fill up with vendors pitching, hey, can we get you on our tech on your, uh, on your top MarTech tools of 2022 lists? And I'm starting to see the reports come out from all the big consultancies, digital marketing in 2022 and MarTech and state of MarTech in 2022. And so we're in that really funny season of all of the end of year reflections and recaps. And you know, like there's so much um, great work that happens in this year, just sort of summarizing and giving a bunch of thematic context to what actually happened in the industry this year. But I thought we'd flip it upside down. Um, I thought we'd actually talk about the things that we thought were going to happen in MarTech in 2022, but actually didn't or happened differently than we thought it would be. So this is less about these are the big trends and this is the stuff that perhaps we got a little bit wrong. <laughs> because both you and I, Scott, we do our own sort of um, reports and wrap ups for the end of the year. So let's flip it around. Let's talk about that. But perhaps we, before we get into that, um, I do want to call out all the sort of major things that I'm seeing right now. Like there's a, I've created this brainstorm dump of all the different stuff that's happening. Um, I've got a three-part um, premium subscriber, pro subscriber um, newsletter piece coming out in a few weeks. 
And I thought, let's brain dump all the main things that happened. So I'm just going to call these out in rapid fire succession. There's about, um, about 20 of them or so. So let's see how we go. Are you ready? Are you ready for this, Scott? Bring it. All right. <laughs> so the first one is data breaches. So um, changes in the security landscape that has brought way more focus to um, security operations in MarTech. Partner ecosystem gains stream, uh, gains steam. There's been a lot of traction in that space. We've just covered that two episodes back. Go check it out. TikTok's ascension to the th social media and advertising throne. I mean, TikTok has absolutely demolished the, the social media market this year. It's caused reactions and reverberations across the entire social media landscape. Well, the inverse of that, you've got Twitter, which is kind of the canary in the coal mine. Twitter is obviously Elon Musk's acquisition, and then it's kind of re just completely changing its approach to almost every aspect of the platform. Um, you can't avoid that. That's a major trend this year. Um, new paradigms in analytics and attribution, the increasing use of AI and analytics and attribution, new models like MMM of gaining tr traction and steam over the past year. Um, Apple's ad business has been a major change in the industry. It's increased Apple's acting, Apple tracking transparency, privacy features. All of that has caused a lot of disruption in the mobile advertising space. But Apple's obviously building and growing the ad business quite a bit. Um, data sovereignty, which I've just wrote about on Sunday and looking at shutting down apps and the EU and the US trying to wrestle out on where data should live on their customers and their citizens. Retail media has been this emerging trend as a um, hedge against privacy. Amazon, Walmart, building out these retail media networks. M&A slowdowns, merger and acquisitions, and all the different things that are happening around um, MarTech companies buying other MarTech companies. That's been slowing down. The valuation of MarTech companies has also been slowing down. Generative AI, uh, that's obviously right at the peak now of, of hype, which is all the illustrations and analytics and text. You've also got all of the open AI and the stable diffusion and GPT-3, all of these different um, analytics and um, also creative solutions uh, that are augmented with AI. Social media, it's the old, old guard is crumbling. I mean, Meta, Facebook, all of those um, major social media platforms are declining. B2B sales and, and um, e-commerce automation, that's another trend that's growing as well decline of Web3 mania, which we'll touch on a little bit. Web3, NFTs, crypto, DeFi, um, DAOs, all those things seem to have just gone away. Um, tech experiments with media companies, some really interesting tech companies have got, come out and acquired media companies or started to build their own. Um, digital out of home is great, gaining great, greater, greater prominence. So that's all of that stuff that relates to um, out of home and digital and making that programmatic. Um, cookie alternatives continue to gain widespread adoption, things like ID5, data clean rooms, contextual advertising, all those different cookie alternatives. The rise and fall of the metaverse. Uh, so, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's big vision for the metaverse was really hyped at the start of the year, and now it's completely petered off. Composable MarTech, which is all of the reverse ETL, um, composable CDP, headless analytics, um, you know, from companies like High Touch Data really challenged the premise of CDPs. Um, privacy pressures intensify across GDPR, CCPA. I know I'm saying a lot of acronyms. I'm trying to get this through this list as quick as possible, but privacy pressures intensify across the entire industry, causing a lot of change. Crypto fraud across a whole bunch of different um, companies. The most um, notable one is a recent SBF um, FTX scandal. Um, that's wrecked confidence, particularly in marketing around crypto and how much we should get involved. MarTech increasingly moving from east to west, which we've covered as well. All of those wonderful startups out of India and Southeast Asia 
uh, gaining prominence, gaining investment, and some interesting text being built in that space. The passwordless web, so increasingly um, big tech platforms moving towards a web where we don't need to use passwords anymore. The MarTech market is slowing down um, in all angles and all aspects. The recession and consumer spending has changed. A lot of people are holding on to their purse strings a little bit more. And my last one is retail. Customers going back in store after COVID-19. And so, whew, that's a big list <laughs> of that's things that happened. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of all of that, and that's so much noise, it's been a massive year. If I could say one thing, 2022 has been the year of turbulence. There has been a lot of change and there's been a lot of readjusting to a world outside of COVID and re-emerging back into um, shopping in person, but also all the different uh, sort of repercussions that has on tech and marketing, uh, particularly in digital. Um, so that's my list, but maybe we should kick off into our first one, which is all the things we thought would happen, but didn't. And well, what is that first one, Scott? Well, okay. So there are things that didn't happen, but I actually <laughs> think the things that didn't happen, you and I actually both kind of expected, yeah, these probably aren't going to happen. So let me start with MarTech consolidation. Every year, there's a chorus of voices saying, this is the year MarTech is going to collapse upon itself and radically consolidate. This time it was because, oh, the end of the pandemic, all this digital transformation, all going to, all right, it did it. Uh, you know, uh, we track the database of this. The MarTech landscape has grown uh, in 2022. Not to say there isn't some consolidation among individual companies, but the industry as a whole has continued to expand. So you've looked at some of the M&A data. What have you seen? Yeah, well, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, um, the well, I think there's two angles on this. Um, when we, when the first one is about that cloud consolidation. So over 2020 and 2021, there was a massive amount of M&A activity. So if I call out a few, um, Amasis acquired, SAP acquired Amasis to bring in e-commerce, marketing automation, personalization. You had the Twilio segment deal. You had Intuit and MailChimp. You had Evergage and Salesforce. You had Optimizely, EpiServer and, and Zayas. And then you have Cycle and Boxever. So I, what I saw over 2020 and 2021 was this move towards something I called, ironically, it's the name of this show, Big Martech. Are we heading towards this future where the uh, marketing suites will be the dominating um, way in which marketers actually use different marketing technologies? And so I would saw, you know, you got the big top of the town like Adobe and Salesforce and Oracle, but then you had these players that were trying to get into that space like Twilio and Segment as well. And so... My my view was that that kind of trend would continue into 2022. Um, yeah, we would see more acquisitions to try and build out that cloud suite across these different platforms, but it didn't actually happen. Um, so M and A slowed down significantly. Um, there were only major one really from this year was the Adobe and Figma deal that went down, which was one of perhaps the biggest um, acquisitions ever. But that was not necessarily MarTech. That was Adobe buying a competitor in the creative and the UX design field. So, so what I've seen is this massive slowdown. And I think part of that is there's less, the capital's less cheap <laughs> these days. Interest rates are rising, inflation is rising. So it's actually, you got a lot of these larger companies that have probably less capital to deploy on acquisitions. Um, so that's kind of my view is that I think part of it is the economic environment influencing that. Um, I still think there's a desire from a lot of these um, platform-focused uh, companies to build out their suite, but it's a bit of wait and see as well. I think valuations of different MarTech companies are down significantly. I think the highest it reached in COVID-19 from Luma's report 
um, uh, Luma Partners report was about 14 or 15x on revenue for ad tech companies. And now it's down to like eight or seven X um, in this year. So there's a lot of the valuations of Lois is less incentive to actually be acquired. You perhaps just want to wait this out. And then also I think the capital that's available to deploy across these companies is, is also dried up a bit as well. So that's, that's my view is that, that there's this trend towards building out various marketing suites, but I think that's definitely slowed down this year, slowed down way more than I actually thought. Yeah. Well, you know, I always felt that like you couldn't acquire your way to all the capabilities in the world. I mean, you look at the amount of uh, technology, you know, in the MarTech landscape and even in all the adjacencies around it, um, you know, the work involved in actually acquiring a company and integrating that company and integrating that solution and integrating those cu customers is a crap ton of work. You know, <laughs> so anyone who imagines that like, oh, all these companies are just going to acquire and acquire and acquire and acquire and acquire. There are very few companies that have done that at scale. Like you can count them on like, you know, less than one hand, you know. And so, yeah, it is not surprising to me that, you know, again. Acquisitions are one thing, this like mm. massive consolidation of the MarTech landscape through cons uh, acquisition. Never saw it uh, happening this year. And uh, well, uh, the data has proved it hasn't. But what oh. else hasn't happened this year that other folks were convinced we're going to be the big <laughs> dot, dot, dot? <laughs> Well, um, I think that, well, I, I might just make one small comment on that, on your point there about. Um, the difficulties of integrating an acquired company. I think that is perhaps a season is of, you know, you had that rapid acquisition activity. So like Twilio and Segment, obviously those companies are so well aligned anyway, but that takes a lot of time to That's make. one acquisition. They invested one. a ton of effort in one acquisition. Yeah, yeah. But then you had Optimizely and EpiServer that, so they rebranded Optimizely and they're trying to build the whole CMS personalization suite using A-B testing and CDP, bring all that under sort of a CMS umbrella. That takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of time. I mean, even right now, Sitecore and Box Ever, um, Sitecore, obviously another CMS company, try, they've acquired a CDP and they've just rebranded it to Sitecore um, CDP and Personalize. So, you know, I think you're right that part of this is maybe it's not the economic environment. Maybe it's just the hard work of um, actually trying to merge these companies in. So I think that's a good point that you raise. But let's dive into the next one. Um, the next one is, well, it's I, I called this back in uh, December last year. Um, and then I got to about March... Uh, yeah, looking at about March and then um, I got to a point where I was like, I don't think this space is going to work out at all. And that is the whole Web3 NFT ecosystem. So non-fungible tokens, buying JPEGs for crypto, DeFi, decentralized finance, take out loans, unbank yourself, the DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, which are just basically, you know, uh, uh, clubs for people who love crypto that can vote on different things. And then you had all of the different sort of crypto use cases that came out that were all very unique and interesting and different. Um, but uh, that space, I don't think actually has panned out. That fizzled out completely. Uh, but what is your view on that? I mean, what did you see at the end of last year and, and what does it look like now? Yeah, I had two things at the end of last year that I said, I don't think 2022 is going to be the year for this. And one of them was the whole blockchain, crypto, NFT thing, because it, I mean, just, you know, it's hard to remember, but of a year ago, like the hype around NFTs and how this was going to be how we did everything in marketing for loyalty and acquisition. <laughs> and this is going to be our new messaging channels. 
you know, and again, I want to step back and say, it's not that I don't think that blockchain technology, you know, has a very promising future. I just think it's going to take time, you know, and when you rush these things too fast, you realize they become, you're building things on pillars of sand, you know, and so 2022 was not the year uh, for crypto and marketing. Uh, it was an anti-year, you know, as it turns out, uh, you know, here looking at it in December. Um, we'll make any predictions for 2023 in this show, but let's just leave it at, you know, like, yeah, NFTs wasn't the year for it in 2022. Yeah, I, I have a few controversial takes on this. Let's see how we go. But um, I think the first one is Web3 came out of COVID because in my view, I think there was a lot of people sitting at home and constantly online because they had nothing else to do through lockdowns and restrictions. And you had a lot of, let's just face it, Silicon Valley, wealthy people that are in the tech world, software engineers, developers, product managers, entrepreneurs, VCs, and they're sitting at home and they're bored and Web3 gave them something interesting to do, right? You know, like instead of going out, let's just go buy a board ape, you know, oh, it doesn't matter if it's $50,000. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't matter if it's $300,000. It's, it was, I think it was partially entertainment and that sort of bright, shiny thing syndrome playing out. But then the other side was that there's this whole narrative that was built and firms like A16Z were massive proponents of it saying, we've got to decentralize the web. We've got to break apart the tech giants that have control the flow of information and capital and, all, and, and economic opportunities. We've got to put the power back into the user's hands. And then you started to see that play out and you realized it wasn't a decentralization. It was a re-centralization and mostly into the VC world of these new t tech startups like OpenSea and a whole bunch of others that were getting a lot of capital funding and then issuing tokens ahead of time um, into for insiders and VCs and whatnot as well. And so my view is that like, I think the hype of it was partially entertainment partially this promise for a decentralized web where there's more participation, more opportunities and less centralized control, but um, it completely fizzled out. I mean, you know, I'm looking at a chart right in front of me where we had, it was the, the monthly NFT sold on OpenSea were hitting almost two and a half million um, in, in December, January period. So that was that real zenith of the hype. And then after that, we got to March and that, basically broke out in half. It's a million. And now it's even, I think it's half the, again now. Um, oh, it even went down further. Yeah. Like it might as well yeah. be zero at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see all these stories of celebrities who hyped up, uh, you know, different NFT projects. And now it's like these NFTs are worth like a fraction of what they were previously because there was no tangible value use case in them. It was an ideology driven um, tech trend that market has actually jumped on board with, right? Like, and Nike uh, put out a, um, a an NFT crypto project, they actually acquired a, a Web3 company. Uh, you know, you've had a whole bunch of different McDonald's issued an NFT. Uh, you know, you've had all these different brands trying to get into the NFT world and experiment. But then I think everyone quickly realized that it's not really decentralized at all. A lot of this is kind of like Pokemon cards trading around. There was not a lot of tangible value or use cases that would improve someone's life outside of financial speculation. And so it all dried up. And then so, so as soon as we started seeing a market slowdown, people didn't have the money to continue to speculate on these tokens. 
all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go and invest my money back in an uh, uh, EFT or a, 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 um, exchange fund or something that's a little bit more tangible where I get a long-term result. And so that's my view is that ah, it just, it just seems like a huge hype bubble. Speaking of hype bubbles, uh, hype bubbles, <laughs> <laughs> the rebuttal to the hype bubble, um, say that three times real fast, yeah. is, um, man, the metaverse, you know. <laughs> this is, again, another one of these things where, not to say there isn't some really exciting technology that is on a multi-year journey of evolution and will bring a lot of new innovation uh, to marketing, but boy, did the hype get ahead of the reality here, headed into 2022. I mean, boy, at the start of the year, it was, you know, metaverse this and metaverse that, you know. And I don't know if you had this in your uh, comments coming at the end of last year. Certainly when I was giving people, okay, my advice for 2022, it was one like, yeah, don't don't worry about the blockchain yet. Not ready for it. But also, don't worry about the metaverse. Just, you know, I mean, unless if you're some consumer company in gaming and like, yeah, you're, you know, in Roblox and things like, I mean, yeah, there's a, there are some segments, you know, of the world that works for it. But for the vast majority, like our customers are just not living in a virtual reality at this point in time. We're doing everything we can to, you know, keep living in the actual reality. But what's your take on the metaverse? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the whole premise of living in a virtual reality works. Again, when you're in the middle midst of a pandemic and you've got nothing between you, nothing to do outside of st stare at the drywall, um, it makes sense, right? Like escape into a virtual world because you literally can't go out into the real world. So in the middle midst of all of that, I think this was back last year when, when Meta actually changed their name, so Facebook to Meta. And then Zuckerberg started saying the Metaverse is this virtual reality um, experience that it'll keep people more connected. It'll keep people, uh, great more opportunities for people to build apps and platforms and different types of technologies. Um, it'll also help people stay more connected and be more present with each other. Now, all of that makes sense until you allow everyone to escape their home <laughs> and go out into the real world and realize, wow, isn't it wonderful to be actually present physically with another person? Uh, you know, one example for me personally was uh, I went to San Francisco for the first time this year um, to spend a bunch of time with a whole bunch of different media folks. One of those people was the uh, the founder of the Martech podcast, Ben Shapiro. Uh, and I spent a whole day with him workshopping um, a whole bunch of media projects, really fun. And, and that our relationship dramatically improved once we went off Zoom into the real world. And I think a lot of people have found that is that this is strapping on a VR device participating in these 3D worlds really does not even compare to being able to spend actual physical time with people. And so that's my view is that part of it is just people realizing how good it is to be out in the real world again. Part of it is, I think Zuckerberg's got a very long-term strategy here. He wasn't trying to um, really make a lot of moves this year, even though the spending, he spent billions, like $10 billion, I think, so far on the metaverse. And so I think... I don't know. I just think that it's, I don't see a long-term future for it because now we're back into the real world and there's nothing that really replaces the experience of being with other people um, and also doing marketing in, in, in the real world context as well. So that's my view, like probably more from an anthropological perspective, but I do have some comments on the actual economic environment as well. But what are your thoughts on that? Wow. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think this is one of these things like blockchain, a lot of AR, VR technologies. I think the future is very interesting for them. 
I just don't think the future is here yet. Uh, <laughs> vast majority of marketers, there are just other priorities of where you need to be spending your time. Um, mm. Mm. So I know, yeah. speaking of time, like, boy, our clock is running. We're already, uh, you know, I think this might be our longest episode already. Good one to close out on this, but I know we have at least one other, you know, thing that didn't happen this year. You want to take this? Well, uh, from my view, I think that this one is, uh, it, it may be something that's probably just an ongoing factor, but we do have a lot of changes in the privacy landscape. And one of those is the third party cookie deprecation or the phasing out. So I was anticipating this year that Google would actually make that step to um, deprecate the third party cookie in Chrome. Looks like they've delayed for a much longer time period. I think it's more than two years now until the third party cookie will go away. And so I thought that this year would be the year of figuring out, okay, what do marketers do next after third-party cookies? Is there going to be a more uh, mainstream focus point for third-party tracking or the replacement of um, this year? But I was wrong. Um, really, we're still in this chaotic mess of all these different types of solutions. Like, for example, you've got UID 2.0, ID5, and a whole bunch of other kind of first-party cookies um, that are coming to market. There's a bunch of experimentation there, but no clear winner. You've got data clean rooms, which allows first party data from a brand and data from a publisher to be commingled anonymously for targeting. Again, you've got Amazon and Walmart, the bigger players there in retail media, but um, in that sort of data clean room space as well. But like, I still see that there's so many question marks around that particular technology that hasn't taken off just yet as much as I thought it would. Um, you've also got um, things like contextual advertising, which there's been some wonderful case studies this year of growth in that space, but that hasn't taken off really. So there's nothing that's really emerged that would have such widespread mainstream adoption as third-party cookies has. I thought there would be, but uh, Google delaying that third-party cookie deprecation means that we're still trying to fumble around in the dark to figure out what would be next after it. Yeah, well, uh, no argument here. I mean, I, I can't feel like, you know, the fact that third-party cookies uh, have taken so long to die, uh, their death has been greatly exaggerated, you know, year over year. It's probably a good thing because I feel like, and you and I chatted about this before, like in our, you know, chat about ecosystems and the power of second-party data, you know, a lot of what, the, you know, happening here too with clean, you know, data clean rooms is about, you know, a more deterministic way, uh, you know, managing those opportunities too. These are big changes, you know, like for marketers to really take advantage of great first party and second party data, you know, requires, you know, uh, a new technologies, the adoption of it, the implementation of these capabilities across their org. And that's not something that changes overnight, you know. And so the fact that like every year for the past several years in 2022 was no different, you know, it's, oh, my God, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Third party cookies are going away. <laughs> has actually served the useful purpose of getting marketers to invest in building up first party and second party data capabilities. And the truth is most companies still have quite a ways to go on that. So the fact that, yes, you have an extra year or two, um, I think my only uh, comment would be use this time wisely. Mm, yes. I, it's never as bad as you think it will be and it'll never be as good as you think it will be. You know, like there's always nuance within that, I think, is, you know, the sky is falling. Yeah, maybe, but, you know, marketers are still going to, there's still going to be something that ha will have, will allow marketers to tap into audiences across different publishers. It's just going to be something. It's, there's always going to be um, an opportunity there for marketers, I think. But, but yeah, I think the, the hype of, well, maybe it's not the hype, but the, um, 
the FOMO or the the scare tactics in media, particularly around th- third party cookies, um, I think it contributed to this expectation that the the world's going to end for that whole um, space in MarTech very, very soon. It's imminent, but really it hasn't been. I mean, we're still going to be working through this for many years to come. But who knows? I might, we might be wrong. We might actually have a mainstream solution by the end of next year, and then we'll have to say we're wrong again. But uh, but anyway, let's wrap up for this episode. I mean, well, there are a billion different things that have happened this year, but I want to throw it back to the audience. What's the one thing that really impacted your career in MarTech this year what is that one thing and why why that thing and so jump into the comments and linkedin or twitter or jump into the youtube comments as well we would love to hear from you but scott bring us home our last episode for the year um what have you got to say (laughs) well what i say every week thank you for joining us for one last big week in martech here in 2022 uh don't miss an episode for next year uh, by subscribing at bigmartech.com go do big things Have a great, big, happy new year. Juan and I are rooting for you. 